Well, Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you that we will soon be able to meet in person again and do church as it should be done. Uh, but Father, we pray for the moment that you put all those uh, distractions of COVID and lockdown uh, and all the things happening in our world at the moment, that you put those things aside in our mind so that we might fix our mind and our eyes on Jesus, your son, and on the word that you proclaim to us through your word. That is the scriptures. Please help us to understand this tonight. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, today we come uh, to the end of our series in 1 Kings and to the final of these three pictures of Ahab, king of Israel, these last three chapters of the book. And uh, I said this a few weeks ago at uh, the, the morning congregations, but the end of this book and these final three chapters on Ahab, king of Israel, they are not good. It is not a good picture. Uh, we've seen already two of Ahab's failings as king over Israel. Three weeks ago, we saw how, uh, how Ahab failed to bring justice on the evil Ben-Hadad. Uh, instead, what Ahab did is he brokered a deal with him uh, to his own gain. Uh, last week, we saw Ahab fail in abusing his own people, the people of Israel, the people he was supposed to love and serve. Uh, we saw how Naboth innocently and, and maliciously was killed again for Ahab's own gain. And what we'll see, what will we see uh, this week, uh, week three and picture three? Well, it's more of the same. Ahab will choose to ignore the truth of God's word and follow his own desires and his own itching ears. But this time, there is no gain. It will only be loss for Ahab. And uh, like we've done over the last three weeks, as we've read these chapters, what we've seen is two main things. There's been one thing we've been learning, and that is what do we learn from these failings of Ahab? Because primarily the failing of King Ahab as king of Israel was primarily his failing as a follower in Israel, a follower of God. And secondly, the thing we've been learning over these last three weeks with these pictures of Ahab is, well, how King Jesus succeeds when Ahab fails. And as we see that, it should lead us to praise our great God that our king is Jesus, that our king is not the wicked, abusive King Ahab. So that's the plan for this evening. Those two lessons we'll keep learning, and we're going to jump straight in. And like most weeks uh, in 1 Kings, this really is a great read. So make sure, if you haven't yet, read the chapter in full. But chapter two begins by, uh, chapter 22 sorry, begins by telling us that there's been three years of peace between Israel and Aram. So it's probably been three years since chapter 20, when Israel and Aram were last in battle. But unlike chapter 20, this time it's not Aram looking for a fight, but Israel. See, have a look at verse 3, chapter 22, verse 3. The king of Israel, that is Ahab, said to his servants, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours, but we have failed to take it from the hand of the king of Aram? And that is all true. Uh, if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 4, the city Ramoth-Gilead was part of Solomon's kingdom at that time. So it did belong to Israel. And now Ahab, he wants it back. And no doubt Ahab is probably feeling very confident. Uh, again, if you remember chapter 20, it was a bloodbath for Aram. Twice, twice they were slaughtered. And so Ahab is sure, well, Israel, they'll slaughter them again and we'll take Ramoth-Gilead. We'll have this city again. 
But in chapter 22, Ahab wants to be extra sure. And so what he does is he recruits Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the king of the southern kingdom, to, to help him in his cause. And uh, we haven't heard too much about Jehoshaphat in one Kings. He features a lot more in two Kings and in the book of Chronicles. But overall, Jehoshaphat, he's a good king. He's one of those kings that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Which makes what we read next a little bit surprising. Because look at verse 4. Verse 4. So he, Ahab, the, the wicked, evil king of Israel, Ahab, asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And there is something right and, and nice about what Jehoshaphat says there. They are the one people of God. There's not supposed to be a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They're supposed to be the one people of God, not the separated people of God. But at the same time, King Ahab of Israel was a Baal worshipper. And he did what was evil. And so why would Jehoshaphat, as one who did what was right in the Lord's sight, align himself with this evil king? It's foolish. And if you read uh, 2 Chronicles 19, if you read that chapter, God makes it very clear what he thinks of this alliance between Jehoshaphat and Ahab. God says in that chapter to, to Jehoshaphat, how can you help and align with those who are wicked? How can you align with Ahab and his lot? How can you help those who hate me, the Lord Yahweh? And so as we read this chapter, Jehoshaphat acts foolishly. And we see it a couple of times. He shouldn't have agreed to go to war with Ahab. But in saying all that, you do see why Jehoshaphat's heart was nonetheless for God. Which brings us to the first point on your outline, and hopefully, hopefully you have it there. Ahab and his yes-men. You see, do you remember what King Ahab did in chapter 20? Do you remember what he did the last time there was war between Aram and Israel? You see, did Ahab seek the word of the Lord before the battle? Did he, like a good king, find a prophet of Yahweh to advise him and hear the Lord's will on what he should do? No. Ahab brokered a deal. He sought earthly solutions to his problems back in chapter 20. But this, but this what is that? But what is the, the first thing that King Jehoshaphat does here? See, how is he different to Ahab? See, have a look at verse 5. See, Jehoshaphat says, yes, I'll go to war with you, Ahab. But verse 5, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, first, please ask what the Lord's will is. And there's no doubt that as we read this, we're supposed to see a contrast between these two kings, between Ahab and Jehoshaphat. You see, for Ahab, it never crosses his mind to seek the Lord's will. But for Jehoshaphat... It's his very first, first thought. But uh, none of this is all too hard for Ahab. He really wants to get his way. He really wants to recruit Jehoshaphat to his cause. And so he says, sure, you, you want uh, the Lord's will. You want some prophets of, of Yahweh. No problem. I've got 400 prophets on tap. You know, let's see what they say about the will of the Lord. Uh, to which, if you have a look at the end of verse 6, at the end of verse 6, what do these supposed 400 prophets of Yahweh say? 
Well, they say, march up and the Lord will hand it, that is Ramoth Gilead, over to the king. In other words, the, the 400 prophets of Ahab say to him, oh, yes, great king. Most definitely, we approve your plan. God approves your plan. Go for it. But Jehoshaphat here, he can smell a rat. He knows these are but a bunch of yes men. They're but a bunch of, of head nodders to tell the king what he wants to hear. They're kind of like the, the smithers of Mr. Burns in The Simpsons. And so verse 7, Jehoshaphat asks, well, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here anymore? Let's ask him. Or you could read it in a slightly different way. That same verse could be translated, isn't there another prophet of Yahweh here? Let's ask him, because he'd heard of him. And it's what Ahab says next that really shows where King Ahab's heart really is and how evil his heart is before God. So look at verse 8. Verse 8. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Yes, there is still one man who can ask Yahweh, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. And sadly, that really sums up the failing with Ahab in this chapter. You see, Ahab isn't interested in God's truth. He just wants to get his way. That's why he has these 400 yes-men prophets, supposed prophets of Yahweh that surround him. You see, they're on the payroll. They tell him what his itching ears want to hear. He doesn't want God's truth. And this is really that kind of sulkish, childish side of Ahab again that we've seen over the last two weeks. It's like the school kid pleading with their parent on parent-teacher night, no mum, no dad, don't talk to that teacher because that teacher never says anything good about me. That teacher hates me. They've got it in for me, which just makes the parent want to hear more from that teacher. It never actually works. But Jehoshaphat, look at what he says, end of verse 8. End of verse 8, Jehoshaphat rightly says, the king shouldn't talk that way. King Ahab, where is your respect for the word of God? Where is your respect for the prophet of the Lord? You shouldn't speak like that. And so, again, because Ahab really wants to get Jehoshaphat on board with his plan and get him to, to help him with his battle, he sends for Micaiah, son of Imlah, this other prophet of Yahweh. Which when you read verse 9, it sounds as though Ahab had Micaiah locked up somewhere. And uh, if you read a little later on in the chapter, when Ahab sends him back to prison, it sounds again that, that Micaiah is locked up under prison guard from Ahab. But as Ahab's officer then ventures off to go and get Micaiah, this prophet, you have this grand picture of Ahab in verse 10. This real glamorous picture. Look at verse 10. You see, there he is mightily on his throne. And there Ahab sits at the entrance of his great capital, Samaria. And there are all his yes men around him, prophesying to him what his itching ears want to hear. You even get this acted out prophecy in verse 11 with Zedekiah, son of Kenanah. Uh, you know, they're, they're all so sure that God is pleased with Ahab, that God, Yahweh, will give Ramoth Gilead over to the mighty king Ahab. But then the truth arrives, which is point two on your outline, Ahab versus the truth. And as Ahab's officer gets to wherever it is that Micaiah was being kept, the first thing he says to Micaiah is, make sure that you say to Ahab what he wants to hear. 
Make sure you tell him what he wants to hear. Make sure you're another one of those yes men of Ahab. But Micaiah won't be so easily won. He will only say what God tells him to say. And so Micaiah goes to King Ahab. He stands before him. And at first, in verse 15, Micaiah does say to Ahab what he wants to hear. But I think he's being sarcastic here. He's really mocking Ahab. He's, he's mocking the yes prophets surrounding Ahab. You know, he's saying, sure, march up, go for it. You'll succeed. That's fine. God wants to give you the city. That's what you want to hear, so hear it. And given how Ahab responds in verse 16, it must be fairly obvious that, that uh, Micaiah was mocking him and mocking these other prophets. But then out comes the truth. Ahab says enough. Don't mock me. Tell me. What does Yahweh say? In verse 17, have a look, verse 17. So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let everyone return home in peace. In other words, Micaiah says, no, mighty King Ahab, you will not succeed. Actually, you will fail. You will fail. You will fall. Uh, that's why Israel will be scattered like sheep without a shepherd and have no master and have no leader because King Ahab will fall. This battle will spell his end. And of course, Ahab, as he hears that, he doesn't appreciate it. He doesn't like the words of Micaiah. It's school kid Ahab again in, in verse 18. You know, didn't I tell you, mom, dad, that that teacher has nothing good to say about me? Didn't I tell you, Jehoshaphat, Micaiah doesn't want to say anything good about me? But it's not only the truth of the battle that Ahab needs to consider. It's also the truth about his yes-men prophets. And we won't read it again, the, the scene between Yahweh and the whole heavenly host. But what Micaiah does is he reveals to Ahab all of the truth. Micaiah says to him, your 400 yes-men are liars. God has put a lying spirit within them to entice you, Ahab to entice you to reject the true word of the Lord. And so at this point, Ahab has a decision to make. Actually, God is giving Ahab an opportunity to repent, to change, to listen to Micaiah, to realize the liars that are his 400 prophets. And so he has a decision to make. Either he listens or he doesn't. Either he heeds the word of Micaiah, the true prophet of Yahweh, or he listens to the lying, spirit-filled yes-men. And sadly, this is where we see again the failure of Ahab. And this is where we see that Ahab's repenting last week really was short-lived. You see, he chooses to listen to his itching ears. He chooses to do what he wants to do. And Micaiah truly stands alone in this chapter as the prophet of God. Verse 24, Zedekiah, son of Kenanah, comes up and slaps Micaiah in the face. He accuses Micaiah of being the false prophet. And verse 27, well, Ahab, he doesn't like Micaiah and what he says, so he sends him back to prison. Sadly, it becomes the pattern we begin to see over and over again in the book of 2 Kings. The, the true prophet of God often stands alone in 2 Kings, rejected, persecuted. It's a pattern we see. But Micaiah has the last word. Because look at what he says in verse 28. And this is a key bit. This is a key for the whole chapter. 
Ahab had given instruction to throw Micaiah back into the prison until he safely returned from the battle. But look at what Micaiah says, verse 28. Micaiah said, if you, Ahab, ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he said, listen, all you people. In other words, wait and see what happens. If Ahab returns safely, well, yes, I am indeed. I, Micaiah, am the false prophet. But if he doesn't, then listen, all you people. Listen and realize that I speak God's truth. And you are to follow God's truth. And you are to stop following these evil kings. And you are to stop following these false prophets. You see, let the people hear. Let them see and hear. Which brings us to point three, Ahab and his end. And as we come now to the, to the battle finally between Israel and Aram, we'll see that actually the words of Micaiah are vindicated. He is the true prophet. He speaks the truth. But there are two main things I want us to notice uh, from the battle. And the first thing is the foolishness of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. You see, the sad thing is Jehoshaphat was there when Micaiah spoke the word of the Lord to Ahab. He was the one who smelled a rat when it came to Ahab's 400 yes-men prophets. Jehoshaphat would have known of the evil of Ahab and his Baal worship, and yet he still went into battle with him. And yet, even more foolishly, look at what he does in verse 30. Look at verse 30. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you, Jehoshaphat, you wear your royal attire. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. And so in other words, basically Ahab was saying to Jehoshaphat, hey, why don't you make yourself look like a big fat red target to Aram? Let them think that you are the king of Israel, so they kill you. About 10 years ago, Emily and I, uh, my wife went to France to visit my family. And uh, we rented a hire car while we were there just to get around. And all the hire cars uh, had these red number plates. And they were a completely different color to all the other number plates around. They were red and all the other number plates were different. And it was like this big, fat, red beacon to all the thugs out there. Hey, here's a naive tourist's car. You know, you'll probably find some luggage inside to steal. You'll probably find some goods and some money in there. So go ahead and break in. Uh, luckily, we made sure we always removed all our things from the car uh, every night. But that car was broken into three times while we were in France. Uh, when we returned the car to the hire company, it had a smashed window, no hubcaps, and no spare wheel or jack. Uh, it was a big, fat, red beacon to everyone. And that's what it is for Jehoshaphat. That's what he is to this army of Aram. He's a big, fat, red beacon. Take down the king. There he is for you to see. Kill him, and the army will scatter. And that's indeed what happens in the battle. That's what the army of Aram tried to do. So if you have a look at verse 32, uh, as the battle was raging, they chased after who they thought was uh, the king of Israel after Jehoshaphat. And they were just about to kill him when Jehoshaphat cries out and they realize he's not the king of Israel. And if you read uh, 2 Chronicles 18, you see that it was actually the Lord that saved him. It was the Lord God who spared Jehoshaphat from the Aramean army. Now, why Jehoshaphat would follow Ahab into battle 
and why he would agree to, to wear royal attire and, and, and let Ahab disguise himself, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us, the scriptures here don't tell us, but it is foolish. And it shows that even great ones and great leaders who on the whole do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, they can still do very foolish things. And they still and do need God's mercy and grace. But if Jehoshaphat here is foolish in these verses, Ahab is just plain ignorant. You see, Ahab thought he could trick the situation. He thought he could manipulate the situation to his own ends. He heard the words of warning from Micaiah. He heard the word of the Lord declared that, that Israel would be shepherdless, that they would be masterless and leaderless. In other words, that you, Ahab, will be killed. And so Ahab thought, I know what I'll do. I'll disguise myself. I'll make sure that I look nothing like the shepherd king and master of Israel. Even better, I'll make sure Jehoshaphat looks like the king of Israel. So he gets killed. But that's just ignorant. You can't trick God. You can't control a situation contrary to the will and revealed truth of God. You see, in all this, Ahab again just shows how fickle he is. He doesn't believe Micaiah enough to stop the battle and not go into battle in the first place, but he believes him enough to disguise himself. He wants to have a bet both ways, like some fence sitter. But you only have to look at verse 34 to see how God is in control of every little detail. You cannot trick God. You cannot manipulate the situation. Look at verse 34. And again, at this point, the battle's raging. And verse 34, a man drew his bow without taking special aim and struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. Verse 35, the battle raged throughout the day and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. He died that evening. And so a seemingly random man, a seemingly random arrow, taking seemingly random aim, and the result, pinpoint accuracy. You see, forget a, a one in a million shot of the arrow. This is a shot only God could ordain. And now the king is dead. Disguise the situation all you want. God's truth will prevail. And so for all the pomp and all the power of King Ahab on his throne back in verse 10, and even Jehoshaphat on his throne as a powerful ally, and for all the revenge that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, wanted, because remember, the reason he wanted to go after the king of Israel is because last time Israel beat them. Last time Ben-Hadad had to submit to Ahab, and he didn't like it, and so he wanted to kill him. He wanted his revenge. But all these seemingly powerful kings, they are but pawns in the hands of the king. They're but dispensable pieces as compared to the picture of verse 19. The Lord sitting on his throne. The Lord with the heavenly hosts surrounding him on the true throne. And with the death of Ahab at this point, it's not just Micaiah's words that are fulfilled. But it's also the words of chapter 20. And the words of chapter 21, because God declared it would be Ahab's life for Ben-Hadad's life back in chapter 20. And now it was. And God declared last week in chapter 21 in, in very descriptive terms that the place where the dogs licked Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick your blood, Ahab. And what do we read in verse 38? 
It's very in your face. But verse 38, then someone washed the chariot at the pool of Samaria, the chariot that Ahab had died in, and the dogs licked up his blood. And the prostitutes bathed in it according to the word of the Lord. And so with the death of Ahab, you have three prophets of God, three prophets of the Lord, the prophet of chapter 20, the prophet of 21, and Micaiah, the prophet of chapter 22, vindicated, shown as speaking God's truth. And therefore, the message for all of Israel at this time, at this point in this word of God is very clear. Listen, all you people. Listen to God's word. You cannot avoid the truth. You cannot disguise the truth. You cannot manipulate or control the truth. God's will will be done. And that's the end of 1 Kings. That's how it ends. But what are we to learn then from this gloomy end to 1 Kings? Well, like I said at the beginning, we need to learn from the failings of Ahab so that we don't make the same mistakes. And for Ahab, his biggest failing in our chapter today was his desire to satisfy his own itching ears, to substitute the truth of God with his own truth, with his yes-men prophets, which was a lie. You see, at the point when Micaiah stood before Ahab, either Ahab listened to God's truth or he listened to his yes-men. And he chose to satisfy his own desires. He chose to follow the words that spoke, that were spoken of what he wanted to hear. You see, you can always find people to tell you what you want to hear. You can usually find lots of people to tell you what you want to hear. But is it God's truth? And that is what we need to learn from Ahab's failings. We need to make sure that the words that we heed and the words that we obey are the words of God. And not the words of itching ears. Which is why I had 2 Timothy 4 read out for us. Because the problem of Ahab is just as alive and well in our world today. This was Paul's warning to Timothy. It's up on the screen. It says this. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. Or if you look at uh, the footnote on your Bible there, it could also be translated because they want to hear what they want to hear. Now, uh, confession time. Uh, Emily and I have been watching the latest series of The Block. Please don't judge me too harshly. But uh, there's this one contestant on the show uh, who blatantly cheats. Uh, There's no doubt that uh, she and her husband have cheated. And in, in all of it coming out of the cheating, she keeps talking about my truth. She's cheated. Uh, Everyone knows it. She knows it. But she has her own version of events. She has my truth that she wants to share about what happened, which is actually just a lie. And that is so typical of the world we live in. You see, the truth doesn't really matter all that much anymore. It's all about your truth and, and my truth. And you can disguise it in any way you want. It's my rules for my life, my convictions about my world, my version of God and, and what it looks like for me to follow him. And whatever your truth might be, whatever you choose for it to be in our world today, you can find people who will affirm you in your truth. It's easy to find people to tell you 
what you want here. Just hop online, you know, Google it, go on YouTube. There is any and every crazy thing you can find on there that people say, hey, good for you. Go for it. You be you. You see, that is the air we breathe in our world. And Christians are not immune. Christians can distort God's truth to suit their itching ears. They can find people who will affirm them in their itching ears. You see, what is it for us? What is it for you? What bit of God's word don't you necessarily like? Where are you tempted to multiply teachers around you to satisfy your desires? Because it's very easy to do. There are literally millions of preachers online who can tell us and tell you what it is you might like to hear. And there are those current societal hot button issues, you know, particularly around sexuality. So what God says about humanity being male and female, being binary, what God says about sex being between one man and one woman in the context of marriage, what God says about, well, you can't just change your gender. You can't choose what you want to be biologically. All that is very unpopular today. Or the arrogance and the intolerance of Christians to proclaim that only those who confess Jesus as Lord will be saved. That no other religion can save. All those outside of faith in Jesus, well, they're destined for hell. So you can't say that at the moment. That is unpopular. That is not what many itching ears want to hear. To proclaim those things in our age, in our world, is to be very much like Micaiah. It's to stand alone. And soon enough, perhaps even face imprisonment like he did. But then there are also those much more personal itches that we all have. Those parts of God's word that we know, but actually we find hard to hear. Or we want to dilute it. Like when Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me must deny self and take up cross and follow. See, who has itching ears to want to deny self? Who wants to, by nature, deny self? We love self. We choose self. See, much easier for us to find people and teachers who affirm what I, myself, and you, yourself, want. If you want a flourishing, successful career, well, find a teacher who tells you that Jesus wants you to flourish and be the best in your field, which to succeed in our modern world means obscene hours at work or obscene hours studying. Or you want to enjoy all the, be the benefits of our Western comforts that the many of us have access to. And you want to do it guilt-free. Well, find a teacher who tells you that Jesus wants you to prosper. Uh, there's a denomination that I know uh, that uh, had churches in Africa. But what they did is they shut all those churches in Africa down. And they moved the people of those churches from Africa to Australia and to the U.S. Because they taught that Jesus wants us to prosper. And they decided that if you lived in Africa, you couldn't prosper materially enough to prosper the way Jesus wants us to prosper. And so they shut those churches down and they moved the people. Or perhaps for us, we might want financial security for a comfortable life or for a comfortable retirement, even though that sounds so far away. Well, then we find a teacher who tells us to ignore Jesus' words about seeking first God's kingdom or a teacher that never talks about seeking first the kingdom of God. You see, I don't know what your itching ears are tempted by. Uh, maybe right now your itching ears are tempted by, hey, I wish Mike would stop talking because I don't want to miss the footy. 
See, I know what my ears are tempted by. I have my own struggles like all of us. And I constantly pray that God would change my desires. That I won't want to satisfy my own desires like 2 Timothy 4 warns and, and so find people to affirm what I want. Now I pray that God might help me to live his truth, the truth. And you should pray the same. And here's the thing. See, how does it turn out for Ahab when he ignores God's word and follows his own word? Not so good. And that's what we need to remember. Seeking the Lord's will in his word and following his word, that turns out for our good. It's for our best. See, God's prophet says to us, listen, all you people. See that God's will will be done. To ignore it or disguise it or attempt to change and twist it to your own end. None of that will ever work. It will go bad. Trust me. Trust what is good. Forget your itching ears, our itching ears of sin. Listen, all you people, to the whole counsel of God's word and see that it is good. But I want to finish very briefly now with Jesus succeeding where Ahab fails. And again, it's a very gloomy end to one king. Uh, Ahab is a wicked king and then he dies. And then his son uh, is announced right at the end of 1 Kings chapter 22, right at the end of the book. He's the next king and he's just as bad. The, the, The very last verses of the book says, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And he served Baal and worshipped him. And if you read into uh, two kings, which I suggest you do, it's good for you to get the whole story. But it's just as gloomy. Israel continued to wait for the, for the promised king of 2 Samuel 7. They, he doesn't come in two kings. They keep waiting for the forever king, son of David. But isn't it interesting that when Jesus begins his ministry to Israel in the New Testament, that he calls Israel sheep without a shepherd? And that's really the story of the Old Testament for Israel. Not just here with the reign of King Ahab, who's a useless shepherd of God's flock, but throughout the Old Testament. The shepherd king of Israel never arrives in the Old Testament. All of Israel's Old Testament leaders, they fall short. So much so that that God declares in Ezekiel 34 that he himself, God himself, would come and be that promised shepherd king of Israel. He would be the promised forever king of 2 Samuel 7. And I said this in the morning congregations a few weeks ago, but seeing the failure of Ahab and the wickedness of his reign as king, that should cause us to praise our God for our king, that we have Jesus. See, Israel were waiting for the good shepherd who truly loves and lays down his life for his sheep. They were waiting for centuries, and we know him. We know Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for you, for me. He served not his own gain, but for your gain, for my gain, so that we might know salvation, so that we might be forgiven of our sin and the sins of our itching ears. You see, what a contrast Jesus is to Ahab. Ahab goes to war at the expense of his people. Jesus dies for his people. Ahab pleases his itching ears to his own desires against the word of the Lord. Jesus pleases his heavenly father to his father's desires in accord with the word of the Lord. See, the gloomy history of one kings and the gloomy end of Ahab is not the end. It only shows us how much we need Jesus, how much we need God himself in Jesus the son 
to be king. And praise God that the forever king has come and reigns in Jesus the Son. Amen.